You're listening to MND Matters, a podcast from the MND Association. Welcome to MND Matters, brought to you by the MND Association. Alongside members of the MND community, we bring stories, information, and expertise direct to your ears. Remember to subscribe to ensure that you don't miss an episode. Hi, I'm Chris, and I'm Director of External Affairs at the MND Association. And I'm Beck, and I'm one of the Area Support Coordinators at the MND Association. And I'm delighted to say that today's guests on this episode are going to be talking to you all about home ad- adaptations for people living with MND. So we've got Jane joining us, who's a specialist occupational therapist in the Dorset area. And we've got Tom and Alice. Tom's living with MND and Alice is his partner. You may hear a few beeps during this episode. Don't worry, it's not your laptop or phone playing up. It's just Tom periodically adjusting his chair to get comfortable. All three are here to share some insight on housing adaptations and from their unique perspectives will be able to tell us all about what good housing adaptations might look like and how they can be vital for people living with MND. Jane, if if I could start with you, could you tell us a little bit about your role as a specialist occupational therapist and, and indeed why housing adaptations are so important for people with MND? Yeah, of course, Chris. Um, It's great to be here. As you say, I'm a specialist occupational therapist and I work for Weldmar Hospice Care down in Dorset. Um, Like many palliative care organisations, we're a charitable organisation, part funded by the NHS. And as part of the services that we provide, we provide the specialist service locally for people with motor neurone disease. And my role as an occupational therapist really is to help the person with motor neurone disease adapt to the changes in their abilities um, to carry out daily tasks as the MND progresses. So that might be helping them with um, daily tasks that we all take for granted, such as um, getting washed, dressed, being able to move around the house safely prepare meals, being able to socialise, go out to work, carry out hobbies, all those kind of things. And really the aim um, is to help them develop and maintain as much independence in those activities as possible. So it might be looking at the way that they're carrying out those activities, looking at different techniques, changing how that activity is carried out. It might be looking at specialist equipment to help that person be able to be independent or it might be looking at the help that they've got at home and perhaps if they're given some help with a part of that activity they might be able to carry out the rest independently. But as you can imagine when it comes to independence it's the environment in which the person lives that can have the greatest impact upon their ability to function independently. So if you can imagine if your ability to walk is getting more and more difficult, if you live in a property that has lots of internal steps, then your property is going to be working against you as opposed to for you. Um, If perhaps you're having difficulty with your hand function, then a conventional toilet flush conventional taps are going to start to be difficult to use. So again, your environment is working against you as opposed to to for you. So that's why housing adaptations are so 
so important because it could mean the difference between being stuck in one room in the house or being able to access most of the rooms in the house. It could mean every time that you need to the, the toilet, you're having to ask someone to help you, or it could be the difference between actually being able to do that yourself. So it makes a huge impact upon someone's quality of life and not only upon the person that has MND, but also the people that they live with. We often say that everybody's journey with MND is, is different and I can imagine when you first meet someone with MND that challenge is always different because the environment in which they, they live is, is going to be different and, and challenging each time I guess. Exactly yeah totally agree. Um, obviously what can be achieved in one property can't be achieved in another um, so yeah it really depends upon where the person is living whether it's rented whether it's their own property there's so many factors involved thank you yeah there's so much to consider and think about on top of everything else um so tom and alice i saw a few nods when jane was talking about some of the things to consider there um you could you tell us a little bit about you moved into a bungalow didn't you when tom you received your diagnosis you took that decision to to move from where you were currently living to somewhere that would be more accessible for you can you tell us about that yes that's right we were living in a flat but it had an internal staircase so it simply wasn't practical and um, and so we had arranged to move into this bungalow so alice looked after everything and arranged financing and grants and everything so she cannot reply in more detail <clears throat> when we were in the flat, we got an estimate for a chairlift, which would have been a short-term solution, and it was £6,000. And we thought it would be better to spend that money on moving rather than on something that was only short-term, because there wasn't enough room for a wheelchair, really, to move around upstairs. So we moved here, and we had a plan, but happily, because of lockdown, we had to move in before we had the work done and once we were here we changed up well I changed my mind about what to do and I'm really glad so living mm. here before we did the work was really important in our mm. decision making uh, here we only had a, a shower over a bath and at that time Tom was just about able to manage that sitting on a bench with my help uh, but we had a, a small extension to make a wheel-in shower, which was a really, really good thing. And then we had part of the corridor widened and two doors widened so that the wheelchair could turn in. We had ramps at the front and back door and a remote control garage door. We changed all the carpets to hard floor, which was really sad, but incredibly sensible in terms of um, going out to the park and coming back and me being dismayed to see tracks across the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and at that time, we also only had um, a mobile hoist, which to push the mobile hoist across the carpet was bit of a nightmare mm. and um, obviously the occupational therapist there is saying of course it's a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> so the occupational therapist organized a ceiling track hoist and we got rid of the carpet so all of that was a big improvement and 
we did spend out on a Japanese toilet and it was easy to do it because at that time we were having the bathroom extended so nothing was tiled and it was easy to fit the water and electricity but in fact that hasn't been useful to Tom so okay it's not I think a long-term thing because you can't use it once you're in a wheel well I don't know how we would use it now Tom's in a wheelchair mm. on, a, on a completely impractical level um, we did learn how to use the mobile hoist at two o'clock one morning when I slowly fell to my feet and um, Alice had to wheel the thing in and we were both, I was on the floor uh, looking at YouTube videos on how to use the thing and I was trying to operate the thing looking at <laughs> I think it took about an hour but it was quite a good lesson in yeah. cooperation. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair wow. to the occupational therapist, it wasn't apparent that we would need it, it had been delivered in advance of us needing it but unfortunately the need arose before we had the training <laughs> so when the training was offered we said we don't need that <laughs> yeah a, a decision you probably slightly regretted at two o'clock in the morning i'm guessing yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but thankful for hardwood floors <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> Um, so what would you say has made the biggest difference adaptation wise? What, is there one standout or do you think it's? I think it's the whole combination. Jane was talking about um, being able to say go to the loo independently and I'd be really interested to know what you would recommend because we haven't achieved that. The fact that Tom can go around the house in his wheelchair without a problem, that I can hoist him without injuring my back and then the the ramps because before we had the ramps Tom wasn't in a wheelchair he was using a um, mobility scooter so he would go to outside the door on the mobility scooter he would stand while I lifted the mobility scooter over the threshold and then he had to climb over the threshold and sit back on the mobility scooter so for him to sit in the wheelchair and just waft along it's wonderful. Mm. Jane, uh, I know we said everybody's journey is different. Mm. Does, does Tom and Alice's story uh, resonate with you as a, as a specialist occupational therapist? Have you, you come across these sorts of challenges, I guess, on a fairly regular basis? Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. And I, I was really interested in hearing Alice talk about the um, decision making that was involved in terms of moving. Um, mm. As she rightly said, um, stair lifts are brilliant but they only meet um, medium term needs so when it becomes difficult to get on and off a chair suddenly the stair lift um, isn't achieving what it needs to achieve for you um, and like you say everyone's um, decision making will be different so it may depend on the form of MND that they have and its progression um, also as we've already said what is possible within the property that you're living in. Um, it may be that some properties just simply don't have the, the space that is needed for an external adaptation or a through floor lift. Um, and it, it also depends um, on how each person feels about those adaptations mm. and what they're happy to accept. So 
the decision making will be based on so many things. So um, I've had people that have been concerned about the legacy that the, the adaptations will leave for family, um, perhaps people that have got younger children. Um, and, and so the, the, the decisions they, they make will be dependent upon how they feel about the adaptations themselves and, and what extent they're happy um, to go to. Um, so yeah, so much involved, so many factors. Mm. I had a conversation with somebody that we've met through an MND group and her husband, Tom has PLS, which is the slow progressing form. This person had ALS and mm. they, they were living in an ordinary house. And she said, do you think I should get the double bed moved downstairs? And I said, well, you know, take professional advice. But my immediate reaction is no, because we've progressed from a double bed to two single beds to a single bed and a hospital bed close together to a hospital bed with a space on each side and at no point would a double bed have been useful once Tom had been um, started his deterioration. Mm. Mm. And I guess this is one of the challenges with MND as well is that trying to predict that progression in terms of changes and adaptations that you're going to make for the future and trying to look ahead, isn't it? And not, not making those instant decisions, which, which seem like a good decision at the time, but actually turn out to be uh, a, a burden when you, when you move forward. Yeah. Yeah. Jane, can I just ask you, what, I suppose it's a slightly difficult question to answer in a sense, but what, what, what do you think sort of good adaptations look like? You know, what, what are the sorts of things that you've, you've, you've seen or done and worked with people on that have really, really helped them, do you think? Well, I was thinking about this, Chris, and I, th I think there's, there's two things really there. I think one, a good ad adaptation meets um, the person's long term needs. That's really important that it considers, considers what they're going to need right at the very end. Um, and also they need to be timely. Um, we know that uh, working with people with MND um, day in, day out, I'm so aware of the need for um, timely access to adaptations. Um, but in terms of what a good adaptation might look like. Um, I was wondering whether it might just be, we've, we've talked about some things, but if I just talk through the kind of things that might be considered as part of an adaptation. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously when I go and do my initial assessments, I'm, I'm looking at the environment in which somebody lives and I'm thinking about how it's going to meet those long-term needs. So someone living with MND is likely ultimately obviously to become a wheelchair user so it's about looking at that level access to the property as Tom and Alice have had the ramps done um, it might be in addition to that looking at changing what the path is made of is if, it, if it's a gravel path that's going to be difficult to use a wheelchair on um, might be looking at widening the path ramps as we said where ramps aren't possible it might be that an external lift is needed to overcome the steps Internally, the person's going to need level access really to all the main facilities within that space. So um, if there are small internal steps, it might be looking at how those can be ramped, how doors can be widened, looking at hallways. 
Um, they might need to be widened with internal walls moved um, to accommodate the turning space for a wheelchair. It's not just the space going through the door, it's the turning space before you get through the door. Um, and then, as I've said, how are they going to access the bedroom, the bathroom? So sometimes it's you're looking at a three floor lift. But as you can imagine, that mm. takes a fair bit of space because it yeah. takes a bit of space in the downstairs room and a bit of space in, in the first floor. So then you might be looking at the ground floor and how that can be adapted. Sometimes people don't need an extension. It might be that internal walls can be moved or rooms can be kind of refashioned to become a bedroom. Um, but but oftentimes an, adapt, um, an extension will be required. So it's thinking about that. And it's also thinking about the space that you need within the rooms. As Tom and Alice have mentioned, the need for a profiling bed, the need for a specialist wheelchair, perhaps a specialist seating, all these things, hoisting, it all takes space. So these rooms need to have enough space within them to accommodate all of that. And when it comes to um, washing and cleaning, uh, the person in order to be as independent as possible is likely to need a wet room so that mm. it's fully level floor so that it can be accessed in a wheelchair or a shower chair. Um, so and also within that, it's thinking about how the person can be as independent as possible within that room. So as Alice has said, a wash dry toilet can help for a certain amount of time. Um, we might want to look at sensor taps um, so that it's easy just to wave and, and, and the water comes. So it's those kind of things within that that you're thinking about. And then if the person wants to be able to perhaps continue to play a part in preparing meals or, or preparing a drink, you might be looking at the kitchen and lowering a surface so that it's got wheelchair access. So there's a lot to consider. And as mm. Alice has rightly said, within all of that, there's, there's flooring, there's how do you access um, lighting um, and controlling the temperature independently. So environmental controls come into all of that. So a lot to consider. Some people will be considering it all. Others won't need all of that. It, it just depends on their own personal situation. Of course, yeah. The first thing coming to my mind is it sounds very expensive. Um, <laughs> and there is a lot to consider, like you said there, Jane. And it sounds like, Tom and Alice, you, you thought about this a lot with the things that you've mentioned there and uh, some of the adaptations you made. So how, if it's okay for us to ask that, how did you fund it? And what was the thought process behind how it was funded? main part of the money came from our savings um, the, but some very expensive things like the ceiling jack hoist were funded by I don't know whether it's the NHS or social services by the occupational therapist mm -hmm. and all the, the wheelchair that's been financed by provided by the hospital which is brilliant because they not only provide it, they adapt it as mm. things change. We were very grateful for grants from the MND Association, not only for the money, but for the fact that they, you, make it so easy to make the application. It's such a, you know, you've got your clear flowchart of what you might be able to have and then a, a form to fill in, it's not difficult. Mm -hmm. And so we had £1,500 towards our house adaptations 
and then £500 towards us buying a wheelchair accessible vehicle and then I've had £500 for respite care. Yes, incredibly helpful and mm. supportive. And not only that, but the, the person who locally administers it was helpful with his comments on what to do. The actual extension, because we had other work done, it's hard to say exactly how much that cost, but it was around £6,000. Uh, so pleased that you you were able to take advantage of the the grants program that we have because it's uh, I think it's one of the mo most vital services that we provide as an association. So I'm really really pleased that you were able to do that. And it's nice to hear it was easy as well. Yes, which, which is good news. That's always good to hear. Thank you. Um, uh, talking about funding, actually, I, I just wanted to ask Jane about um, what support uh, the local council should provide in these circumstances, and um, what, what, and perhaps actually what other support might be out there for people. Yeah. Um, well, what happens locally for us is um, once I've carried out my full assessment as the specialist occupational therapist, then I refer to my colleagues in social services who work for the council. So the social services occupational therapists and what they do is they will visit um, the person's home with a technical officer and the role of that visit really is to see what is possible within the environment that the person lives in um, and following that visit they will draw up a schedule of works and uh, obtain quotes from contractors um, and then alongside of this they'll have a, a preliminary test of resources which is a financial assessment so it looks at your income your savings your investments and properties other than the home that you live in and depending upon your assessed resources, there may or may not be a contribution to pay um, towards the adaptations. For some, the calculated contribution might exceed the cost of the works, in which case they would be asked to pay the full amount. Um, and for some, as a result, they decide to arrange their adaptations privately. Mm -hmm. um, if someone's on means tested benefits, such as universal credits, they don't need to have a test of resources because of course they've already had that as part of the means testing around the benefits process. Um, and also as a result of that, they won't need to pay um, anything towards their adaptation. So once, once those two things have happened, once you've had a visit from the occupational therapist with the technical instructor and the test of resources has been carried out, the occupational therapist can then apply on your behalf for a disabled facilities grant. And depending on the outcome, as I've said, of the uh, financial assessment, this will cover between 0% and 100% of the cost. The schedule of works is then sent to the grants officer, um, who then decides whether the works meet the eligibility criteria. And once the decision is made, then the works can get started. Um, it's important to note that if you start um, to begin your own adaptations privately prior to the end of this process, then you won't be awarded a grant. So disabled facilities grants can't be awarded in retrospect. So that's really important for people to remember that. In terms of the maximum grant that's available in England, that's £30,000. 
Northern Ireland it's 25,000 and Wales it's 36,000 pound um, and if a grant is agreed it will only cover essential adaptations so it's to meet the essential needs of a person. If people have their own thoughts about particular um, finishings to the adaptation, so um, I've had people that I've worked with before that have been concerned about what the wet room might look like when it's finished. So if people do have an idea of particular tiles or a particular way they want it to look, of course they can pay over and above um, uh, that little bit extra to achieve that. Um, you asked about additional help. Um, I can't praise the MND Association enough in terms of additional help. Um, I find personally as a professional, the website extremely helpful. There's a booklet particularly aimed at occupational therapists um, with regards to MND, which is really helpful. Uh, there's also the detailed information leaflet for people with MND and their families entitled Disabled Facilities Grants and Home Accessibility, and that is extremely helpful. In addition to that, we've mentioned the MND support grant. I've accessed that on behalf of the people that I've worked with on numerous occasions. Um, we've um, through the grants, um, I've looked at stair lifts for medium term needs um, because, of course, sometimes people um, will have a disabled facilities grant application going through for a ground floor adaptation or a three floor lift to meet their long term needs. But whilst that's going through, they've got the problem of their mobility's deteriorated and they're starting not to be able to access the toilet upstairs or the bedroom upstairs so in which case that that that's an occasion where it's really useful to have the MND support grants because the support grants won't cover what's going to be provided as part of statutory services so it wouldn't cover what's being covered by the DFG but anything that's not covered by that that would have an impact upon the person's quality of life we can apply for so so that's been extremely helpful awesome thank you that's yeah. very interesting yeah yeah, it's a, uh, a funny thing, isn't it? Hindsight and knowing what you might need in the future, but you also need to work out what you need right now. And Tom and Alice, you already mentioned that in terms of sharing with local people with MND in your community and the masking about beds. Well, you now know that actually it probably is not practical to have a double bed because you're going to need to get around the sides. But like at the time, you don't know what you need. So sharing this information is so important um, so people can start to think about it now. But what we also know is sometimes we don't have time. One of the things we want councils to do is to have a fast track process for people with MND um, uh, and also to, to remove the sort of financial assessments as well, which can slow things down for the disabled facilities grants if the grants under £5,000. So that's that's the sort of thing we're looking at. And yeah, I just wondered, you have found the process slow for your needs. Is it, we, we didn't apply for a grant because we were aware that we're we're lucky enough to have enough savings that we wouldn't be entitled. Mm. Um, we won't have much left by the end, but mm. <laughs> um, so the, the only thing that's been really slow was a particular kind of uh, postural support chair. Mm. A static one. Mm. And that was being organised by the council and it kept having to go to another committee for approval. But at the same time, we were get the health service was organising the chair I'm sitting on, 
which is a six-wheel, it's wonderful. A power chair. A yeah. power chair. And it does everything I think that that posture chair would have done. And it also, Tom can do it himself, whereas the other one, I have to work the controls, which yeah. is just frustrating for him. And I have to ask someone to push me from one room to the other, yes. Yeah. And there's an element of grumpiness by the pusher. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Jane, you, you've been involved with the Act to Adapt campaign. I just just wanted, do you want to talk a little bit about your involvement with the campaign? Yeah, definitely. Um, as you've mentioned, the Act to Adapt campaign followed the Act to Adapt report in 2019. Um, and that was written following surveys and engagement events, I think, with members and professionals, um, giving them the chance to talk about their experiences really across the country of that housing adaptations process and from the report it concluded with various recommendations of good practice that councils might follow and the com campaign followed that with various recommendations and um, West Dorset um, here we were one of three pilot areas for the campaign um, and the idea really was to start looking at how our council measures up to the recommendations. As you said, recently the campaign is focusing on two, well, eventually three main areas. One is the fast tracking process for people with MND. Just to explain that a little bit more, at the moment um, councils have a statutory timescale of six months to come to an, a decision as to whether somebody is eligible for the grant. What fast tracking says is what we would like councils to say is the fact that someone has a diagnosis of MND fast tracks them to that eligibility. So if um, an application is made and they see that someone has motor neurone disease, then the very fact that they have that will qualify them for a grant. Um, and some councils are doing this already, but obviously there's more to be done. Um, and the second one, as you mentioned, Chris, was the removing financial assessments for DFGs under £5,000 for people with MND. Um, so that might cover the more the medium to small adaptations and if you're saying there's no means testing that's taking a level of um the time scale out the person's not going to have those financial assessments so in a way that's that's also fast tracking um and eventually i know as part of the campaign um you're going to be looking at um asking councils to maintain a register of accessible homes for people to move into so that as i mentioned before sometimes people's properties just don't lend themselves to adaptation and moving house is the only option while we would like councils to be really on top of what is available locally um, for people um, what we've been doing really here is i've been um, meeting um, with members of the MND Association. We've been talking about um, locally how we can um, look at how we measure up really to those recommendations from the report. Um, so recently some of the members of that team um, met up with our councillors locally just to see what, what could be done. When it comes to the point of financial assessment there's actually quite a lot of paperwork to gather um, and sometimes I was finding that the people that I was working with at the time at which the person came to 
assess their finances they they were struggling to get their hand on those those pieces of paperwork so if that can't be sorted within that visit then it delays it until the assessor mm -hmm. can come again so what we spoke about is if i can have a list of all the paperwork that's needed when i go and do that initial visit then people can start gathering um, what's needed and again it, it's just looking at the pinch points in the process where can we where can we make things a little bit quicker a little bit smoother and sometimes sometimes there are quick wins in that so um I was also asked to speak um, to councillors at both the Labour and the Conservative Local Government Association conferences last year, which was a fantastic opportunity for the Motor Neuron mm. Disease Association just to raise the profile of this campaign with councillors. Um, and it was so great to be involved in that in the hope that councillors would then take the message back to their respective councils. So um, it's been great to be involved. Um, anything that I can do to kind of help the process be a little bit easier. Um, well, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's massively important to have your input. It's it's really make, makes a huge difference. Thank you so much for all of that, Jane. Yeah, and if anyone's listening and wants to get involved in the Act to Adapt campaign, we've got lots of information on our website and we'll include the link as part of the podcast description for this episode. Uh, you can email us at campaigns at mndassociation.org and someone from the wonderful campaigns team will get back in touch with you and just let you know how you can help us and be more like Jane. Help us out. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're probably coming to the end of this episode now, but I just wanted to give the opportunity to Tom and Alice and Jane as well. If there's anything that you think we haven't covered that you think would be really good to share with anyone listening or like any tips and tricks or like the one big takeaway from this process uh, when you were doing your adaptations, I think that would be really useful here. When Tom was diagnosed, the consultant said, the question that you want to ask is the one we can't answer, which is how is this going to progress? Mm. And, and therefore we have always felt we can't make a plan because we don't know what we're planning for. You know, you can't say, right, I'm ready, I've got a plan, because you don't know what it is. And so my thought is to make the big changes, which for us was getting rid of the stairs. Mm. And yeah. then everything else we've just done as we go along. And the really important thing, like Jane was saying about um, needing space to turn around, um, get rid of things. When you don't need them anymore, give them back or sell them if they're yours. Because otherwise, you know, at certain points when I wasn't sure whether we'd finished with something or not, we'd end up with a traffic jam of um, Zimmer frames and mobility scooters and a wheelchair that we weren't using. And, you know, it, so get rid. Good advice. Good advice. Good advice. <laughs> I'd add to that. I think my piece of well pieces of advice seek an assessment from a qualified occupational therapist as soon as possible after diagnosis I think that's really important someone who can assess your individual needs um, and your neurologist or your GP can help with that referral um, so they can help you um, to access an occupational therapist secondly I think my last piece of advice would be I am so completely aware that when it comes to adaptations, we're asking people to consider something very difficult early on. So 
because of the time scale, because of the need for things to progress quickly so that you've got the adaptations in place for the time that you need them, really people need to start thinking about it often when they're just coming to terms with the diagnosis. And it really isn't easy to be mm. thinking about mm -hmm. these things. And we're forcing people to start to think about what the end stage of their MND might look like. So really my advice to people would be to acknowledge that, that it's difficult. If they can, after the assessment, once they've got the information they need, to really just take some time out to really think about what they need and what they want. But it also might be a question of how independent do I want to be? I guess what I'm trying to say is if you've got a property that perhaps you can only adapt it so far as you can have a bedroom and you can access a living space, but you can't have a wet room because it's not going to allow you to do that. Then the question would be, do I really want to stay here knowing that possibly in the future I may have to accept someone coming in to give me a strip wash and to help me in that way? Or do I want to move house? And that, that can be a real, real difficult decision for people to make. Like I say, if they've got family, young children living there, it all impacts upon that decision. So my advice would be take the time out, go out for a day or an afternoon somewhere where you're relaxed and with the person that you want to talk this through with and give the time to it. It's not easy, but if you manage to do that early on, then you will have the benefits later on down the line. Thanks, Jane. I think that's, that's really, really good advice. And thank you for that. And um, thank you, Tom and Alice, as well, for your, your advice as well and top tips. It's, that's really, used, really, really helpful for people, I think. And, and just to add my top tips, <laughs> would to say, um, uh, in terms of the MD Association, you know, we can provide support through our MD Connect line and also local support through our staff team and our, our, our volunteers and branches as well can provide support for people so that you're not alone uh, in, in trying to make these decisions. And if you do have any issues with local councils then you know you have your local politicians your MPs and councillors to get in touch with as well we talked about the active adapt campaign but individually if you're going through these kinds of issues you know this this is this is the time for your local politician to uh, <laughs> to, to wield some power um uh, local <laughs> council so it's it's um it's worth bearing that in mind as well uh, thank you all so much for coming along and taking part in the podcast today and sharing your experiences. Uh, I know that this will be a great deal of help for people who are listening with MD or affected by MD, and we hope that what you've said today has uh, made it a little less daunting for others. So thank you very much. Well, Absolutely. Thank and indeed, if you've been inspired listening to this podcast and you'd like to find out more about campaigning for the Act to Adapt campaign or the Welsh Homes for MND campaign in Wales, helping us to improve access to housing adaptations, you can get in touch with the campaigns team, as we've said, who are also on Twitter at MND Campaigns or via email at campaigns at mndassociation.org or by searching for the MND Association's Act to Adapt campaign online. So thank you very much. And yeah, thank you so much to Tom and Alice and Jane for, for sharing their um, their thoughts and advice. It's, it's been really, really interesting to chat to you. I've really enjoyed it, I have to say. It's been great. Thank you. You're very kind. <laughs> You've been listening to MND Matters, a podcast from the MND Association. Find more information at mndassociation.org. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, contact our helpline MND Connect on 0808 802 
6262 or email mndconnect at mndassociation.org.